Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series. On this episode, we talk with acclaimed jazz pianist, composer, arranger, educator, and entrepreneur, Peter Martin. As the founder of the innovative St. Louis-based company, Open Studio, he opens up about his new project called Peter Martin and Generation S, out on December 1, 2023. It features a lineup of distinguished artists to deliver a fresh interpretation of live performance, captured and shared with an international audience in a unique real-time event. Over a storied jazz existence, his touring has taken him to six continents numerous times and has played in the White House by invitation from President Obama several times. We cover all of this and much more. Enjoy. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? What's going on? How are you today? Good. Good. Nice to meet you. Good to meet you. Well, thank you for taking a minute out to talk to me today, man. I appreciate it. Man, thank you. Looking forward to it. Me too. So before we get into new material, I want to know, first and foremost, how did you get through the pandemic? How did you get to the last three and a half years and how has it changed you? Well, um, you know, a big part of the the sort of downtime I spent, uh, you know, with my family, kind of my extended family. Some of my kids were back home, which was which was interesting and fun. And then um, I, I ended up doing a, like a lot of just practicing. And I did this weekly uh, solo piano live stream that kind of started out mostly just as a sort of temporary thing for me to have something to do. And then it kind of grew to a nice little regular following, sort of a meeting place on Friday evenings that I really uh, enjoyed and cherished preparing for. It was just solo piano. I was in the studio here by myself. And uh, people would tune in on YouTube and it got to be a really nice community. And I did it for like, I ended up doing it for about a year, a little over a year. Yeah. And uh, so from a musical standpoint, that was kind of my marker uh, each week and uh, gave me something to prepare for, gave me something to kind of feel like, you know, I was helping people to still connect with music at a time when they couldn't really go out and there wasn't a lot of uh, live music going on. And, uh, and it was fun for me to kind of develop uh, you know, some, some skills and hopefully and able to play music to an audience when they're not actually there with you, which was a huge challenge, especially at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, but then I kind of started to figure it out and uh, really started to have fun with it. So it, it was, it was fun. It was an interesting thing. Well, it has to feel good to have new material out now. Uh, Peter Martin and Generation S. I'm curious, what does this release mean for you now that kind of things are opening up? We're getting out of that era. What's the general feeling with this album? Yeah, I mean, this was very much the, the both the material and the the personnel that I put together, the band, was something I was thinking about a lot over these past few years. And um, it, it was kind of weird because a lot of times when you're planning something, um, you know, musical, you don't like there's things that I can control kind of how it comes out in ways that I can imagine it. But the fun part for me too, is the parts that I can leave open and leave others to fill in the blank, leave the moment to kind of fill in the blank. So I was super interested in that, that whole aspect of it. Um, so it's kind of like, I knew it was going to happen, or at least I was hoping it was going to happen. I just didn't exactly know how it was going to happen. Um, but it was a lot of fun for me to kind of put things together and write music and then kind of redo it and then take some things away and be like, okay, I know Greg Hutchison's going to put the perfect thing in here, but I don't know what it's going to be. 
Um, so it was very much a culmination of the last few years, just like work I've been doing, but also kind of hopes and dreams and aspirations about this band and how the hopefully the personalities would come together, which I think they came together amazing, even better than I would have planned, you know, and yeah. hopefully it's going to make me look like a genius for getting the right people in the right place at the right time. <laughs> What's Generation S? So Generation S is it's just a, it's a little bit of a play. The S stands very, very loosely for swing. And um, that's kind of like the thing that that binds everybody together. But I was I knew in putting a band together with three kind of Gen Xers, you know, Ruben, Greg and myself, Ruben Rogers on bass, Greg Hutchinson on drums uh, and myself. We've all played together a lot over the years in different situations. I mean, we we backed up Diane Reeves for, for many years together and played with Joshua Redman. And I mean, I've been playing with Greg Hutchinson since we were like 16 years old back in the late 80s. So um, I wanted to you know, to bring in another element instead of just doing another trio record, which I love doing with them. I've done several of them. I wanted to bring in another element. I love the quartet setting with saxophone and, and Sarah Hanahan. I had really been wanting to work with her um, ever since I heard her, you know, which was like four years ago. And so I was like, hmm, what can we put together? So I know that I knew there was going to be some kind of cross-generational things. And, and and so the 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 name of the band and the title of the record is just a little bit of a play on there being several generations represented, but the music being the thing that connects us all. So what are you hoping the listener gets from this album? So I'm I hope the listener can get, you know, joy and peace and solitude, maybe even a little background music. I tried to kind of <laughs> include it all in there because um, I think the jazz, uh, you know, music without vocals has so many different possibilities. I mean, I hope that they're excited and stimulated by it. I hope they find some special moments as I have in listening to it, you know, to want to return to. Um, I think it's a pretty uh, broad album in terms of hitting on a number of different feels and emotions and vibrations and kind of human sentiment you know um i didn't necessarily go out with a with a list to check off you know happiness sadness you know yeah. love but i think a lot of that got put in there and i also ho hope that they get the feeling of you know improvisation and immediacy that we really put into it i mean i wrote all the music in july and august of this year in september i brought everybody in here uh the, the whole band to record the project we did it live in one take the entire album in the studio wow. um no retakes or anything and we actually live streamed it as we did it for fun and for hopefully for joy but also as a little bit of a proof of concept uh because i wanted to you know i've been on so many different recording sessions where we'll do a take and it'll be really really good and the producer or somebody be like all right let's do another take and let's do another one and you end up doing like you know anywhere from say two to sometimes eight or 10 takes and very rarely does it get better. Sometimes it gets a little bit cleaner and sometimes some people that are involved in the project think it's getting better because they're so fixated on such a small element of it. But in terms of like the overall presentation, I feel like if you're prepared with the material and, and we had two days to rehearse and play together, which wasn't actually a lot of time, but it was enough. Um, but my feeling is like, if you're prepared, one of the really special things that we can do as jazz musicians uh, and that we do on the regular is to be able to, um, you know, nail stuff the first time. Yeah. And in terms of like the perfection of it, it's more like sort of celebrating the unexpected, celebrating the musical moments that happen at that time. And it's something I've been involved with before in doing live recordings. I did a live recording on Max Jazz, you know, like 20 years ago that was, um, 
you know, live in front of an audience at a, at a great class, jazz club. I've, I've done several live at the Village Vanguard recordings with Joshua Redman and Christian McBride. So this was a little different because we were in the studio. We didn't have an audience, although we did have an online live streaming audience, but we didn't have like the energy and like the clinking of the glasses and that kind of a thing. So it was very much a studio project in one take. So it was kind of different for all of us, but um, that was sort of the biggest risk and tight tightrope that we were getting on and doing this. And I, I, I just love the way it came out. I'm super proud of it. That's so interesting that you say that first takes it and there's such a push to refine because I get that feeling. You know, you'll hear stories of rock and roll bands going to the studio for weeks and weeks and jazz musicians are always in there between 24 to 72 hours. 72 is high. So it seems right. like that just validates the idea that you guys you guys are on it. You know what you're doing when you're in there. I hope so. I mean, we did it in an hour, you know, but, but I mean, that was the recording. It was literally recorded in real time. Um, but there was a lot of preparation that went into that. You know, yeah. I think sometimes it becomes a thing when you get into the studio, I've been on a lot of different kinds of sessions, but, but it comes like there's a glass and it's going to get filled up with water no matter what or something. And so if you make it a smaller glass, then you fill it up smaller and then you're done. But if you don't have the preparation and the preparation goes beyond just me writing the music and us rehearsing, it was, you know, especially the rhythm section, I was playing, you know, the, the sets and reps we've had from playing together for going on 30 years on and off. But I mean, we really know each other. And then so so really the heroic thing that was mainly done with Sarah being able to come in and not have that history. We had never played with her before. Um, we'd all heard her and knew of her, but that was, a, a, you know, so for her, it was probably, it was definitely a lot more difficult to come in and to kind of, you know, hopefully we laid a nice foundation for her as a rhythm section. And that was nice, but it was also, she had to come in and learn new personalities and learn the music. A lot of the music was hard, harder than I had intended it to be for myself too. Uh, so it just, you know, um, she just did an amazing job. And I thought, you know, brought everything that I was hoping she would and more for sure. So how did this jazz journey begin for you? Talk to me about where you were born and raised, early influences. How did all this take off? Yeah, so I uh, I was actually born in, in uh, Central Florida in a small town called Deland, and uh, but I was mostly grew up in St. Louis. I moved my family moved to St. Louis when I was six years old, and so I went, you know, from elementary school all the way through high school here. My dad um, played in the St. Louis Symphony for many years. He's a violinist and pianist and organist and a fantastic musician. My mother's a musician as well, um, so I really grew up in a musical family. Um, and beyond it, it, both in my house with my parents and my sister and stuff, but even beyond that, just the St. Louis classical and then later on jazz family. Um, I had great mentors with the music here. Um, and I mean, really, there was, the, you know, a number of just really wonderful musical experiences. I had a great piano teacher growing up. I played violin first, actually. Um but, they, you know, something in particular, when I was 13, I got a chance to meet Wynton Marsalis. He was playing with the St. Louis Symphony and my dad met him and was talking with him and said, you know, my son is kind of getting into jazz. Some of his friends and Wynton, you know, told told my dad, he said, um, bring him down to the rehearsal tomorrow. I want to meet him. And so we came down, me and Todd Williams and Jeremy Davenport, Chris Thomas, a little group of us. And we got to meet Wynton. He was playing classical. He was playing the Haydn Trumpet Concerto with St. Louis Symphony. Um, but I knew, a I vaguely knew about him. This is like right when he was kind of breaking out. And I think he had just was about to win like Grammys in classical and jazz. And, um, um, but it was a real turning point because he kind of became a mentor for me, uh, as well as a number of, you know, 
dozens of other players I found out later around the country during that time. He was kind of like the Pied Piper. He was like the worldwide web of the of, of jazz at that time, went and traveling around and meeting um, young musicians and kind of helping them along. I mean, he gave me his phone number. It was like, if you have any questions, call me. And he would, you know, he's the first one that told me about Thelonious Monk and different recordings I would go get and stuff that you can go online and find out now, basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but that was a real, like, just inspiration. And then he came back later that year um, with his group, which was, he had a record called Black Codes from the Underground that came out that year. Actually, it was the next year. Uh, but he came back with Kenny Kirkland was playing with him, who became just like, I idolized him as soon as I heard him playing on record and got a chance to meet him. And so I had a lot of really privileged interactions with, with the next generation that helped me a lot, you know? Yeah. So Winton clearly is the type that really wants to lend to the next generation. You know, that's always been very evident in all of the stories that you hear about him. And obviously yeah. in your story, what do you want to teach the younger generation that you get around? What do you want to pass on how do you what what knowledge of this jazz jazz torch do you want to pass on to the younger generations? Well, like for the younger players coming up, I love, you know, to offer whatever I can in terms of like really the the more human um connections that I got from Wynn Marsalis and from Betty Carter. Like that was kind of my first big gig was playing with Betty Carter. And, you know, she was a mentor to me and many, I mean, many, many great pianists and, and bassists and drummer. I mean, like she was, she was graduate school, you know, when we were coming up uh, and undergrad and everything. Um, and Johnny Griffin, you know, getting a chance to be around these musicians. Like it was never that much about like the C minor seven with the sharp 11 and like all the, the, more dogmatic parts of the music that are important. Um, I mean, they talk about that a little bit, but it was more about the community, the culture, the, you know, the more kind of intangible stuff. And so I think what's happening now is there's so much information about the music out there that a lot of younger players feel like they don't need to interact as much with the, uh, the older generations of musicians. Because like when we were coming up, if I wanted to learn about like, oh, I want to learn, like what's the best Thelonious Monk record I should check out? Winton uh, or Kenny Kirkland, they didn't have an Instagram where I could go see what their thoughts were on that, right? So I had to like go meet them at a gig and, and like try to get up the guts to say hello and ask them a question or something. So I see with the younger players, you know, I see this with my own kids too. It's like, they're more shy in terms of like going out and getting information because they have access to more of it in their pocket with their phones. So I think that's a great thing in terms of like you, you have access to the, to the great recorded lineage of the music, which ultimately connects you with a lot of the information you need as a young player coming up by listening and checking out those records. But that human connection um, I mean, the great equalizer in the music is that it's intergenerational and it always has been with jazz uh, and not just jazz, a lot of forms of music and the arts in general. It's like there's no the pecking order is about if you can play or not. It's not like how old you are, who have you played with? I mean, it is a little, but ultimately, like the way it used to be. And I think the way it still is and the way what we're trying to promote is still like if you can play, there's a place for you in this music. And if you can play and you don't have a lot of experience or you don't have a lot of confidence yet, that's OK. Come interact with us. We're going to give you that last little push, just like Betty Carter gave to me, you know, just like Art Blakey gave to Benny Green, just like you know, went and Marsalis gave to the young players playing with him. <clears throat> so 
you know, just really trying to pass on those stories, yeah. trying to pass along that, you know, so that they're not just getting it in a video or not just getting it in a book or not just getting it in a, in a social media post. Um, but then in terms of like what I'm doing with open studio, like that's really more about getting information out to people of all ages, it's not just about like this young privileged group of super talented players that want to be the next art Blakey or whatever, you know, yeah. um, it's this is about like kind of I hate to even say democratizing the music, but it kind of is the information like whereas before it was like if you love the music and played piano, like there was really very few entry points unless you lived in New York City or a handful of other cities and had access to a really good teacher that had the time to, you know, to sit with you. It was very um, kind of mysterious. I mean, there was books out about the music and stuff, but it was very hard to access. So what open studio is more about like giving access to everybody that, that's interested in, kind of from the comfort of their own home, kind of meeting them where they are yeah, uh, on their journey. Yeah. So you've been at this for a long time. What is it that you've loved the best about being a professional musician for all these years? Um, you know, I, I think I love the service aspect of it the best. I love the playing music for people and them enjoying it them being relaxed by it them being able to like kind of forget about maybe a horrible week that they had like they're just sitting down listening you see a smile on their face they're closing their eyes they're doing whatever um very much the way you know a chef would serve a meal to someone at a restaurant and then be happy when the when the person eating is delighted by it. where it's not just calories it's like elevated to something that's joyful and it's experience for them and i think at the very foundation like we 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 get to thinking you know that what we're doing is important in so many ways and maybe it is maybe it isn't but i think ultimately the service like we're a waiter like we're bringing the music to people like we are serving the music to people and that's the part that i love the the most is when i'm serving people and that's why like you know during the pandemic shutdown period you know just doing those weekly live streams was so important to me because i was seeing the comments and you know we would get together on zoom with a group of people every week afterwards and they were just like i look forward to this and i need the music i want to see i mean yeah they could just be sitting and listening to records you know and which is what i do but i mean there's nothing like experiencing something with other people live you know and so to be able to keep that going that's that's kind of the most satisfying part about my about being a musician more so than just i love sitting at the piano i love to practice i love to just play for myself but i love playing for other people so speaking of that live experience what was your first live show that you saw that blew you away um well i saw count basie ella fitzgerald oscar peterson joe pass ray brown uh, when I was 13, my dad took me to the cool jazz festival, K O O L like the cigarettes. Yeah. Uh, used to be a great, uh, touring jazz festival at the Fox theater, which is about a hundred yards from where I'm sitting right now. Uh, great, great old theater here in St. Louis. And I got to see that show, which was just amazing. I mean, I had no idea what the hell I was seeing at the time, but I remember being like, wow, I don't know what this is, but I want to do that. You know, Count Basie was like, right. The, he actually died a year later. So it was amazing to be able to see him. He was in a wheelchair at that time, but he came out and played with his big band, Ella Fitzgerald, saying Oscar Peterson. I mean, thinking back on it, it was like it was like a whole nother era. And I, it was fun to be able to just catch the very tail end of that as I was sort of embarking on on getting interested in jazz. My dad was always a big fan of the music. He was a classical. He is a classical musician, but he always had a, some records around that he would listen to. So I'd been exposed to the music. Um, but hearing that concert live was really blew me away. 
Wow, that's crazy. So very simply put, why do you love jazz? I love I love the vibe of it. I love the improvisation. I love the conversations that are happening on stage, but also that, that happen with the audience, the back and forth. I love the spontaneity of it. I love the kind of combination of of very casual but very refined. So the very casual is that there are conversations coming on, but going on. There is the the serendipitous nature of you don't know what's going to happen. So there's a casualness built in, but the, that there's also a lot of refinement in that, you know, the players at the highest level are really, really good. So like, you know, sort of top shelf just in terms of like like greg hutchinson i'm playing you know thinking about him from the record and love playing with him i mean just as a drummer i mean he's he's one of a handful of the greatest percussionists in the world so like in order to be able to do the casual stuff you have to be really 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 high level um so i i, I just love that i love like the um i love anything like a profession where people are so good at it that they can have fun and be casual about it where it's not like what's coming out i think is very serious but it's not treated in a precious or serious way as it's being executed on. Um, you know, it's like a great basketball team. Like the better a basketball team is the more they're laughing and having fun and trying stuff and throwing up alley-oops and that kind of a thing. And they can do that, you know, cause they're winning, <laughs> you know? And yeah. so I love that part of jazz. It doesn't always work. And sometimes you don't have the right group of players, but when it does, it's super exciting. And I love sharing that with the audience. So at the end of the day, everyone has a perception of you, your family, your friends, those that you play with, fans, but you run the show. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Um, well, that's an interesting question. I mean, I think as a musician in terms of like, uh, you mean as a musician specifically or just overall? Like, well, you can put me, put, put me on the psychologist couch here. I see what's That's happening. right. This is the therapy <laughs> question. <laughs> so- I guess the Venn diagram bleeds into itself because you are, your DNA is music. You can't separate that. The egg and the yolk come together. So yeah. how does all of that work for you? Because everyone out there has this idea of you, but you ultimately run the id, ego, superego. So that's more yeah. kind of honing in. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, as I've gotten older and, and started to understand my place in the music and actually gotten better at it like objectively where i look at it as like wow okay i'm finally getting better i've been doing this for a long time I, I i actually have become more and more humble and more and more like comfortable with where my place is and more and more grateful just to have any place in this music and to be able to you know play with the people i played with play for the audiences i've played at travel to the places met the people you know talk to folks like you about the music and my record like i i take this very uh from a very humble standpoint and a very grateful standpoint and, and from a service standpoint, you know? And so I see myself very much as, as in terms of as much of a servant to the audience, a servant to the music, because I've gotten so much out of it. And so I love giving to the music. I love giving a new recording. I love giving a performance because um, I feel like we're, we're all, I, I'm not sure if we're, you know, it, it might be trite to say we're all put on this planet for a certain reason, but I don't know that we always know what it is at, at, at any particular time, but I can say that we're all given the opportunity to contribute something continually every day that we're alive. And so I want to give something that's positive and that's great and that's that touches people. And so, you know, there's things that I love to do, like play basketball. There's never going to bring any joy to anybody but myself because I'm not very good. But so, but I'll do that for myself, but I want to do more 
like playing music because I know that I'm good at it and I and, and this is a place for me to serve. You know what yeah. I mean? Not because it's like, hey, this is what I want to do. Um, but I also do enjoy it a lot. So I'm super lucky in terms of that. And um, and so I think in terms of like people's perception of me and the way that I actually am, I'm very much uh, an explorer. Like I'm I'm not I, I have no idea what I'm going to be doing a year from now. I'm I had no idea I'm doing what I'm doing now. I mean, although I've been playing piano since I was three years old, so that sounds weird. It's like I'm doing the same thing, but in terms of how I'm doing it and like the other, the entrepreneurial stuff I'm doing with Open Studio, whatever, this is all kind of making it up as, as I go. And I very much um, give homage to jazz music, the jazz musician's mentality, because that's kind of led me down these different paths, the improvisation. I'm kind of improvising through math, uh, through, through life, you know, yeah. uh, as a father, as a husband, as a son, as a musician, as a, you know, founder, CEO of a, of a startup, all these different things. I'm, I'm making it up as I go. I'm trying to learn from others. I am learning from others. Um, and then I try to give back and teach others in the areas that I have expertise, give back in terms of the music in, the, in those areas. So art imitates life, life imitates art. I think so. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of the refinement and and the practice that we go through as artists is like trying to get to where our art is so intertwined with who we are, our life, the essence, you know, like our truth, um, our like I think about the great players that I know that get to that highest level, somebody like a Herbie Hancock, like if you know his music and you know him a little bit, like you see that there's like his personality is very accurately represented in his musical personality yeah. he's not like an actor becoming this other thing like he could he's yeah. got the kind of skills to do other things but i mean like he's very well aligned with with who he is it doesn't mean that he doesn't have a huge range he obviously does everybody knows that but he also has a you know a very interesting personality too and i don't know him well or anything but i've gotten a chance to hang around with him and it's fun to see that stevie wonder is like that it's like you know you can the humanity that you that everybody kind of that pays attention and feels from his music is very much who he is i think and that's as much about being honest with your art as it is also attuning your skills as you learn and get better and work on your instrument work on your voice and stuff to be able to have the types of abilities that that you could honestly represent yourself in your art so Speaking of recordings and live music, where can people pick up Generation X? Where can they find out about live shows? Anything about your world? Where's the best place to go? Uh, PeterMartinMusic.com is is a good uh, starting pay place. You can also go to OpenStudioJazz.com, and that's certainly well beyond just what I'm doing. That's the whole, all the Open Studio artists, but we always got stuff there. Generation S is available. Uh, I think by the time people are hearing this, it'll be available everywhere. Spotify, Apple Music, CDs. We got LPs coming. I'm super excited about those. Um, for all the hipsters and, and hipsters at heart like myself that are on the LP train again. Um and the cover art is amazing. Uh, Kababi Bayaku is a world-renowned artist that happens to have a studio across the street from our studio here. Created the album artwork as we recorded the album during that one hour. And so wow. like, this was an idea I pitched to him and got him on board with. And so he painted us a, a beautiful abstract drawing, uh, a, a beautiful painting of us. Um, 
on canvas as we were recording was very much a part of the process and the energy in the room, of course. And so I, that's why I'm really looking for the LP. Of course, it's on the CD as well, which is cool. Um, but yeah, that's available at Peter Martin Music and then wherever you stream. Oh, and YouTube. YouTube's kind of a cool place to check out the album. I know that sounds weird, but uh, we have video of us recording uh, that's beautifully edited stuff. We've got, I think, two, two of the songs done. We're going to kind of be dripping those out, but you can go and kind of watch as we record. In case you're not sure if we really did it one take, you'll, be, you'll see the video evidence, but it's got the mastered audio and everything. And um, so that's kind of a cool place to check it out as well. We're in the show me state. You know, you got to show us, right? <laughs> That's right. Yes. Show me on YouTube. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, the, the cover is beautiful. Yeah. And it will be on full display in this interview as well. Hey, Peter, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for imparting all of this wisdom and story and lore. I really appreciate your time today. Best of luck with everything as we enter the holiday season. Absolutely. To you as well. Uh, appreciate it and fun discussion. And, um, Peace and love to everybody. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in St. Louis, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Peter for his time, energy, and cool. If you want to hear more Neon Jazz interviews, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.